peeps, this is Angela Bowen, your host of Punky Power on an official Punky Brewster podcast. Today I'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 14, entitled Urban Fear, which is the first episode to air in the, U- in the new year of 1986 on January 5th. In this episode, Punky is afraid that Henry will be the next victim of a widely publicized murder spree. So basically what I'm going to be doing, I'm doing one episode at a time from now on. It's still going to be twice a week, but one will be released on Sunday and one will most likely be released on Monday. That way the episode doesn't run so long and if there's one episode that's not your favorite, you don't have to kind of suffer through one you don't like to get to the next one. So, Alright, let's jump right into the first episode. We open up on the living room of the apartment. Henry, Punky, and Cherry are all playing the trivia game Kitty IQ. And Henry tells them he can't believe the name is called that, being the questions are rather difficult. As Punky asks the question, who is Big Bird's best friend? Henry answers with Kermit the Frog. Okay, even I had to laugh at that. Let me guess. Snuffleupagus, am I right? Cherry laughs and tells Henry that he's wrong, and Punky reads, Sorry, Henry, it's Mr. Snuffleupagus. Booyah! I got it right. (laughs) Henry, annoyed, pulls the card out of Punky's hand and tells her, No adult would know this. Uh, Henry, I beg to differ. (laughs) So when Betty comes in, Henry decides to ask her, and of course, she gets it right. Mr. Snuffleupagus. Betty asks if she can turn on the news, and that's when we hear about the North Side stalker who has struck again in Chicago. The news shows footage of the apartment complex where victim number seven apparently lived, with reporters and newscasters swarming the building. At seeing this, Henry turns off the TV and tells Punky and Cherry to go to her room and play, because it's inappropriate for children to see. Punky objects because... He lets her see old war movies. He tells her, well, that's make-believe. This is real life. Do you think Henry is right in doing this? Punky's nine, not six, not four years old. He could give her a watered-down, kid-friendly version of what's going on, so she's aware of what's going on, especially since it's happening in their city, like, close by them. Punky looks at Henry and asks, World War II is make-believe? Henry just sits there for a moment like, I have no idea how to answer this. But instead, he points to her bedroom and yells, Go! And the girls plus Brandon take off for her room. Betty turns the TV back on and the newscast picks right back up where it left off when she turned it off, which in real life they would have moved on to the next story. On the screen appears a composite drawing. The drawing, this drawing is creepy. I can see now why Henry didn't want Punky to see this. Betty says he looks just like David Letterman. I had to laugh out loud at that. Yeah, he just needs the glasses and the gap between the front teeth and he'd be a dead ringer for him. The newscaster tells the viewers if they happen upon this guy to call the local authorities immediately. Well, if they happen upon him, it might be too late. She uses the story as a segue into the killer snowstorm making its way to Chicago. Interesting how that never comes back. (laughs) Betty turns off the TV. She then stands up and tells Henry how this whole stalker thing scares her to death. 
and Henry waves a hand dismissively at her, saying how the media is blowing it out of proportion and how they're just using it to blow up ratings for their news station. Betty tells them she hasn't slept in three nights and every little noise makes her jumpy. Uh, Betty, that's not good. You're going to worry yourself into an early grave and you have Cherry to think about. Henry tells her she's overreacting. She tells him, what is this world coming to when you can't even feel safe in your own home? If something like this were happening right now where I live, I'd be freaked out too. I'm a worrier. I always have been. Betty asks why he doesn't put an alarm in the building. Since he's the building manager, wouldn't he have to get final would he get final say in that or would he have to clear that with the owner of the building first? Henry tells her it'd be like a a dinner bell for the thieves letting them know because we have an alarm in place, we have great stuff. Come rob us. They need an ADT security or a sign in the yard that will deter them maybe. Betty tells him to at least get some new locks, and he tells her that the locks they have are perfectly adequate. Betty then throws out how would he know. She can just waltz into his apartment whenever, day or night, without any struggle or resistance of the door. Yeah, that chain on the door isn't going to keep someone out if they want to come in. Then she goes on how this guy is crazy. He doesn't just come in to steal your TV or stereo. He comes in to kill you dead. I love Betty's line. It's hilarious, even when she's trying to be serious. Betty, this guy is no robber. He's clearly a serial killer, since he's already racked up seven victims. And I'm sure he's moving on to number eight. Henry puts a reassuring hand on her shoulder as he draws her away from the door, telling her to keep her voice down. Yeah, really, Betty, the girls are practically on the other side of the door. He tells her he doesn't want the girls to know, but Betty tells him they already know the same as all of Chicago. Everyone's running scared. Henry tells her that's all the more reason to stay calm, and if they ignore the stalker, so will the girls. Henry, that is no way to go through life pretending like events happening around you don't exist. I'd say just don't dwell on it, otherwise you're just giving it power to feed into your fears and consume your every waking thoughts. Alright, I'm going to play this clip of the girls in Punky's room when they look at the stalker's picture on the front page of the paper. So I'll be right back. Boy, the stalker sure looks scary. He looks like a horrible monster from outer space. Gee, I think he looks like David Letterman. <laughs> Says here he's killed six people already. You know what Bibi Pahootsis told me at recess? What? Her cousin lives right next door to a lady whose husband is a piano tuner. Yeah? He tuned the piano of victim number four just three months before the stalker got him. Talk about a close shave. And the worst thing of all, he never got paid. <laughs> you know what's really scary? He can break into any house. Yeah, even in here. Wait a minute. What am I so scared about when I've got the best protector in the whole world? Who? Black Fang. <laughs> <laughs> 
blood firm? You know Miss Brandon. If I or one of my close personal friends are in trouble, he becomes Bloodfang. <laughs> Come on, that dog's a pussy cat. Oh yeah, watch this. Bloodfang, assume the attack position. <laughs> I think he assumed the rub my belly position. <laughs> Jerry, get it in gear. We're going home. Okay, Grandma. I've got to go. Uh, Cherry, be careful on your way upstairs. Well, don't worry, Punky. I'll be fine. Besides, the third floor's a lot safer than the second floor. Punky and Cherry figure how the guy resembles... Punky says an alien from outer space. That's kind of far-fetched. Cherry, of course, like her grandma, says he looks like David Letterman. Punky reads how the guy's already killed six people already. I thought he killed seven. That's what they said on the news, unless he did that after the newspaper came out. Cherry fills her in on some recess gossip about victim number four from a girl whose grandma lived in the same building as the victim, mentioning how he got his piano tuned three months before he was killed. That's a stretch. Like someone having a lame claim to fame because they use the same plastic surgeon as Pamela Anderson. Cherry tells Punky that the stalker could break into a room. Well, yeah, I mean that window next to the tree could pose a possible problem. This makes Punky shiver with fright, but then she stops and realizes she doesn't have to be afraid. She's got blood fang. Cherry asks, who's that? And Punky tells her, well, you may know him as Brandon, but when... Me or one of my friends is in trouble, he becomes Bloodfang. The camera pans over to Brandon, lying in a heap on the floor, not having a care in the world. Wearing a bored expression like, yeah, I, sure, I guess. <laughs> Cherry turns back to Punky and laughs, come on, that dog's a pussycat. He may look like that, but never underestimate a dog who I'm sure would go out of their way to protect their human. That's his girl there. He already rescued her from getting hit by a car in season one. I'm sure he'd gladly take on an assailant. Punky goes to prove it and tells Brandon or Blood Fang to assume the position and Brandon takes this as a cue to roll over and Cherry giggles saying it looks more like assume the position to rub my belly. <laughs> Betty calls to Cherry that it's time to go and Punky tells Cherry to be careful going upstairs. Does their apartment building have a key entry, or do they have to be buzzed up? I'm guessing for that time, it didn't. The apartment Jeremy and I had did have a key entry for us to get into, but anyone else that didn't have a key had to be buzzed up by whoever was in the apartment. Before she leaves, she tells Punky the third floor is a lot safer than the second floor. Uh, like, yeah, y'all have windows. She leans down to Brandon and tells, Punky leans down to Brandon and tells him if he can't protect her, she'll have to find a way to protect both of them as she hugs him. At night, Brandon snores and Punky tosses and turns in her sleep, almost like she's having a bad dream. Henry comes in to check on Punky and is assaulted by a tripwire attached to the bell on Brandon's doghouse. Then he steps on some balloons as Brandon barks. Punky yells, sick and blood, Fang! And Henry calls out to her that it's him, like, it's me. And she tells him that he scared her. Henry's like, I scared you? 
Punky, Henry's old. Let's not give him a heart attack just yet. Henry reaches over to turn on the light and comes over to Punky. Henry demands to know what's going on, and Punky tells him it's her new security system. What a smart girl she is, and this is four years before Home Alone came out in theaters. Henry tells her no one's going to get her. Then to, her to his surprise, she pulls out the newspaper with the drawing of the stalker on the front page. She knows more than he thought. I want to play this clip of Henry talking to Punky about the stalker. All right, here's the clip. Punky, nobody's going to come and get you. I'm here. I know, but Henry... You don't have to worry. He doesn't bother little children. He's only after grown-ups. Really? Maybe we should let Brandon sleep in your room. No, thanks. His snoring would keep me awake. You could use my earmuffs. That won't be necessary. The police are going to catch the stalker. But they haven't caught him yet. They will. There are 300 detectives assigned to this case working day and night. No wonder they haven't caught him. They're too tired. <laughs> they don't all work at the same time. Wait, why does the stalker act like this? Why does he break into houses and kill people? He can't help himself. His mind is very sick. I bet he's never going to stop. He's going to keep killing, isn't he? Punky, I want you to stop thinking about him. I know, but how can I? Erase him from your mind. I can't. I must be thinking about him in ink. Think about someone nice. The stalker is only one bad apple and a big barrel full of good, kind people. What about that saying? What saying? One bad apple can spoil the whole barrel. There's another saying. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I know, but... Anki, you must stop worrying and be my brave little girl. I don't know if I can can and you will okay i'll try good now close your eyes and go back to sleep he tells her not to worry because he's here and that the stalker only goes after grown-ups not little girls punky's surprised at this and suggests that brandon sleep in henry's room Henry vetoes, vetoes that idea, claiming Brandon's snoring would keep him awake. She mentions he could use her earmuffs, and he tells her he won't need them because the police will get the guy. And Punky says they haven't caught him yet. He tells her they will. They have 300 detectives working day and night on the case. This stalker is a widespread killer. He'll be found. Don't worry. I mean, seriously. I'm sure he will. Punky asks why the stalker does this, and I like how Henry gives her a watered-down explanation that the guy can't help it in his mind. He is very sick. Henry tells her he doesn't want to talk about this anymore, and she has to put the stalker out of her mind and be the brave girl he knows she can be. Punky needs to be talking to someone who can help her work through her feelings, because it's only going to get worse if she's told to just forget it. 
Henry pulls the shade down on her window, but not before stepping on a couple more balloons and then accidentally kneeling on a whoopee cushion, her window alarm. He carefully steps out of the room, gingerly stepping over the trip wires, and then turns back to blow her a kiss goodnight. In school the next day, Mike is grading papers and reading off some crazy wrong answers when Henry knocks on the door of his classroom. Henry asks if he's disturbing him, and Mike tells him no, but mentions how kids like to interpret history their own way, and they both have a good laugh at this. Henry tells Mike to give it to him straight. Mike looks at him confused. Henry tells him that in his experience, usually when a parent is called to school, it's usually due to bad grades or bad behavior. So which is it? For Punky. And Mike tells him, neither. He tells Henry he was worried and decided to have Henry come down so they could talk about it. I want to play this clip. I think Mike handled this situation very appropriately. Henry he tells him it sounds serious, and Mike tells him it might be. Then he shows him the drawing that Punky made during art class. I'll be right back. I was worried about her, and I thought that I should share my concern with you. Sounds serious. Might be. Punky made this drawing during art period. I know. Usually a drawing like this means that a child is troubled. It's this stalker business. It's really bothering her. I told her to put it out of her mind and to be brave about it. And why are you shaking your head? Henry, it won't work. Punky's afraid. Her fear won't go away by ignoring it. Look, Henry, I'm no psychologist, but from the looks of this drawing, I would say that Punky's more afraid for you than for herself. For me? Of course. We talked about the stalker, and I told her he only attacked adults. Now, I guess she thinks he's after me. Maybe I should stay home with her and not go to work for a few days, and why are you shaking your head again? That won't work either. Why? Because you'd only be given into her fears. What should I do? Look, Henry, why don't you talk to her? Reassure her. Tell her that it's natural to feel afraid. But she shouldn't let her fear rule her life or yours. It makes sense. I'll give it a try. Thanks, Mike. Oh, forget it. You know, Mike, my ignoring the stalker was a way of dealing with my own fears. Way down deep, I guess I'm afraid of the creep. I know it's hard to believe coming from a macho guy like me. <laughs> hey, I hear you, Henry. It's gotten to me, too. Of course, I'm not nearly as macho as you. <laughs> now, something about this picture. If you go to YouTube, look at this episode, Urban Fear, and you get to this scene, 
you look at the back of the picture, as Mike hands it to Henry, right before we actually see the front of the picture, look at the back of it. There's a different picture, one that's more gruesome, too gruesome, in fact, for TV, especially a kid's show. Punky's picture, the back of it, depicts the stalker standing over Henry's body on the ground with a knife in Henry's back and blood pulling out beneath him. But when Henry looks at the drawing, it depicts Henry standing upright as the stalker creeps up behind him, knife raised, as if ready to strike. As Punky cries out Henry's name. That is disturbing. The fact that Punky would draw that, and she did it as a class assignment, not thinking that this would draw Mike's attention and cause him to voice concern to Henry. Although, at age nine, she probably didn't think that way. Henry looks at the drawing uncomfortably and turns to Mike, asking, surprised, Punky drew this? Like this is beyond the realm of his comprehension and he doesn't know what to make of it. Mike tells him that usually when a child draws something like this, it's because they're disturbed by something. Henry tells him it's a stalker business, and he mentions how he told Punky to put it out of her mind. Mike shakes his head at him like, Henry, that is the worst thing you could have done. Mike says, judging from the drawing, it looks to be that she's more afraid for his safety than hers. Henry tells her, Henry tells Mike that's because he told her that the stalker only goes after grown-ups. That's your second mistake, Henry. Henry thinks maybe if he's stays at home from work for a few days that it'll help the problem. And then Mike shakes his head again, telling him that'll just exacerbate or feed into her fear, making it worse. Henry asks what he should do, and Mike tells him just talk to Punky, reassure her, letting her know it's natural to be afraid, but not to let the fear rule her life or Henry's. Henry shakes his hand and thanks him for the advice. Then Henry heads to the doorway, but turns back around and comes back, telling Mike that by ignoring the stalker, it was a way of dealing with his own fears. Henry tells him he's afraid, and Mike tells him that it's also gotten to him as well. Yes, you know, the possibility of being faced with having your own mortality taken from you can rattle anybody. Even the strongest person can't hide from that. Punky and Brandon are in the living room at the apartment watching Lassie, per Brandon's choice, but then Punky rolls her eyes, turns to Brandon, and suggests they watch The Brady Bunch. Brandon puts his head on her shoulder, begging, like, oh, please, let's just stay, let's just watch Lassie. And Punky caves in, telling him, okay, we'll watch Lassie. Again, again. And Brandon kind of smiles. <laughs> and the dinner <laughs> in the kitchen, Henry calls to Punky, calls her to dinner. He takes the potato, two potatoes out of the oven with his bare hands. His bare hands. I wouldn't even do that unless I want second degree burns on my skin. He must have tough and impenetrable crocodile skin. This realization comes quickly to Henry as he juggles them from one hand to the next and plops them down on their dinner plates. Punky oversees this when she walks in and remarks how, I didn't know you could juggle. <laughs> when they sit down to dinner, Punky asks why they're eating so early, and he tells her he has to finish a layout at the studio that's due in the morning. 
Punky's shocked that he has to work at night, but Henry tells her, you know, I've, I've worked at night before. She tells him, but not since the stalker. Punky begs him to let her go with him. Like, can I go with you, please? And he tells her, no, Mrs. Johnson is coming down to babysit you. Oopsie, and now I just, okay. Um. Punky once again begs him not to go, and he tells her that, you know, he's got to. He tells her he'll be fine and not to worry and to continue eating her dinner. When Punky sits down at her plate, you can tell on her face she's coming up with a way to keep Henry from leaving. Suddenly, Punky sits down her knife and fork and puts a hand to her head, groaning. Excuse me. Henry looks at her surprised and asks, what's wrong? She tells him, all of a sudden, she, I don't feel so good. Oh, stop. You were fine five seconds ago, Punky. This is not going to work on him. She tells him it's her head, stomach, and throat acting up. He plays into her delusion, standing up and feeling her forehead, noting that you don't feel warm to me. She tells him that on the outside, on the inside, she, I'm a towering inferfo. She means infernal. <laughs> he tells her, sounds serious, and he goes to get the thermometer. As soon as he leaves, Punky scrambles out of her chair and grabs a magic marker, dotting her arm with red dots. And we see Henry, just out of frame, coming back into the kitchen as she's still marking up her arm. Surprisingly, he doesn't see her do any of this as he comes in. Then Punky pulls down her sleeve to show him this so-called rash that erupted onto her skin. They're just little dots as Henry takes a napkin and rubs at them and they automatically start to smear. So whether he kind of dabbed it with a little water or spit or whatever, he, uh, they just start to automatically smear. He, can, he tells her that if a rash smears, it can't be too serious. He pops the thermometer in her mouth, then turns to get her some children's aspirin. I remember taking that. When his back is turned, she pulls out the thermometer and stabs it into the baked potato. Then she quickly puts it back in her mouth when he turns back around. She quickly pulls it out when her eyes bug out from the scalding hot metal in her mouth, and he takes it from her to examine it. A hundred and eight. Henry reads the results, and Punky asks, Is that high? And he tells her, Not if you're a radiator. I think he may be on to her at this point. She tells him that he should give her me the medicine quick. He looks at her, not convinced, and says, Maybe I should give it to the pot potato. Punky asks, Why? Henry jokes that it would go with the sour cream that's on the thermometer. Henry levels his gaze with hers and says, You're just pretending to be sick, so I won't go to work, aren't you? And she objects, saying, No, I'm really sick. Henry gets up from the table and puts the thermometer away. Then, in a last-ditch effort to attempt to get him to stay, she takes a big gulp of her grape juice and walks over to Henry, complaining of a sore throat. She tells him, it's really red. And he looks, and he tells her, yes, and so are your teeth. I figured as much. That grape juice is going to stain your teeth. Henry sits her down at the table, telling her that Mrs. Johnson will be here any minute, to watch her and he has to go as he walks into the living room to get his coat out of the closet. Punky follows him and we see Brandon still parked in front of the television watching Lassie. I just noticed I think the couch is different. And they also have an end table there with a little 
golden retriever um, statue on it instead of a coffee table. Just then, the news pops on with the newswoman reporting that the stalker has claimed murder victim number eight. Holy mo! Punky walks over to the TV as the newscaster tells the viewers there'll be more on this story at 10. Henry turns off the TV. I'm going to play this clip of Punky begging Henry not to go because the stalker's out there and he'll get him. All right, I'll be right back. Henry, you can't go now! Well, the sooner I go, the sooner I get back. I don't want to miss Dr. Bud's dress shield expose. Henry, I'm serious. The stalker's out there. He'll get you. Come, Punky, sit next to me. I think it's time you and I had a little talk. About what? Fear. Everyone in this city is afraid because of the stalker. People are locking their doors and their windows and being more concerned about their safety. That's healthy fear. So it's good to be afraid. Up to a point. If you're so scared that you won't go out of the house or you spend all your time worrying, that's an unhealthy fear. I don't care! I still don't want you to go. Why not? Because you'll never come back. How do you know that? That's what always happens. My father left and never came back. My mom left and she never came back either. I've lost so many people in my life. You're the one I love the best. I couldn't stand it if I lost you. You know, I worry about losing you too. You do? Every time you cross the street, I want to be with you to make sure you're safe. I realize I can't be with you all the time. I have to trust you to be very careful when you cross the street. I am. I always look both ways. I know you do. That's why you always come back safe and sound. And you, Punky, have to trust me. To be very careful when I go out tonight. So I can come back to you safe and sound. Is it a deal? Promise you'll be extra careful? I'll be extra, extra careful. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm a tough old bird. You're not going to lose me. Cross your heart. Cross my heart and hope to... I'll just cross my heart. Henry sits down on the couch with Punky, and he explains the difference between a healthy fear, you know, with people that are being more concerned for their safety, they're locking their doors and windows, and, you know, there's there are those out there that are so afraid to leave their house and spend all their time worrying, you know, that's an 
unhealthy feeder. I mean, if you just sit in your house and just are scared to death to go outside because you think anything and everything is going to come knocking at your door to kill you, then you're going to worry yourself to death. Punky yells at him that she doesn't care, and he yells back, why not? She, in a choked up voice, she tells him she's worried he'll never come back. It all boils down to abandonment issues. Her father left and never came back, and then her mother left and never came back. But they left for their own selfish reasons, sweetie, not because someone took them from you. Punky, I mean, I mean, seriously, I know that she, she always draws that card. She always plays that card because that is always going to come up for her. She explains, you know, she's lost someone, so many people in her life. She can't stand if she lost him. He's the one she loves the best. And then she rushes to give him a hug. I teared up at this. It breaks my heart. No matter how old Punky gets, this is always going to be an issue for her. I feel that down the road, this will probably affect her future relationships with potential boyfriends or even a husband. Honestly, Henry should have had her talk to a professional. I know she has Mike and Betty who are outside the family, but she needs someone who can help her deal with her emotions of abandonment. If she, only she could have some closure so she could move, so she could shut that door and move forward. I don't think she'll have that until she finally confronts her mother. Henry tells Punky he's worried about her too, like when she crosses the street, but he doesn't, he knows he can't be with her all the time and he just wants to make sure that she's safe. He tells her it's a matter of trust. They have to trust each other, that they'll be careful. Like when she crosses the street and she reminds him she always looks both ways. He tells her she has to trust him that he'll be safe when he goes out so he can come home to so he can come home to her and he promises he'll be careful. If Brand is that Brandon panting in the background? It sounds like him. I can it's like I can hear him in the background. They both hug, and he tells her he's a tough old bird. There's a knock at the door, and Henry opens it, and Betty chastises him for not asking who it is before opening it. Then he shuts it in her face and asks, who is it? Henry opens the door as Betty and Sherry come in. Betty asks Henry if he wants to borrow her mace, and he tells her that won't be necessary. Punky nods in agreement as she says, he's a tough old bird. Betty tells him to take care of himself out there. Henry and Betty, Henry and Punky give each other the okay sign, and the episode ends. Now, I could have sworn it ended with them saying the guy was caught. I guess that must have been something else I watched, because I, I swear I thought it ended like that. Alright, time for my Brandon Tailwag episode rating. I'm giving it 4 out of 5 Brandon Tailwags. 1 for Punky's cool alarm system, complete with a tripwire attached to a bell on Brandon's stockhouse, the balloons, and the whoopee cushion, and of course, Blood Fang, actually Brandon. Number 2. Mike telling Henry the seriousness of the situation with the stalker has played out in Punky's artwork, and that staying home from work is just feeding into her fear and telling her to ignore, to just ignore that just amps up her paranoia. 
Three, Henry finally getting to the root of Punky's fear, which can be traced to her fears of abandonment after losing her mom and dad. She doesn't want to lose him, too. Number four, Punky's creative ways to keep Henry home from saying she has a fever, making, um, uh, sticking the thermometer in her potato, then she claims she has a rash, which she creates on her arm with a red mar magic marker. Then she says she has a sore throat by drinking grape juice. She's quick on her feet. I'll give her that. She's, she's real quick. I knocked off one Brandon tailwag because of how Henry first treated Punky, telling her to forget the stalker and put it out of her mind, and by ignoring it, her fear will go away. That was not the best way to handle it, and lucky for Henry, Mike was able to explain to Henry the healthy way to deal with Punky's fear by talking her through it and not to let it rule her life. Time for Punky's Principles. This episode dealt with something that happens every day in our world, especially now with, you know, we just had the shooting in Las Vegas that happened on October 1st, and also other terrorist attacks and other attacks that, that have taken place since our world was affected by 9-11. When that happened, we didn't, I don't think we hid in fear. We banded together, standing tall and proud in the face of our enemies. Not to mention all the natural disasters like the hurricanes in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico and the wildfires in California. We as a nation come together to help each other. But referring to Punky's fear and Henry wanting to keep her in the dark about it all, we now live in an age where technology, knowledge, and local news is just a few taps away on our phones and laptops. You can't escape and neither can children. We need to keep them in the know, especially when they can access the information themselves. Making sure they understand what they're seeing and hearing online and giving them the actual facts. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, I didn't own a computer. I got my information from the news and the radio. I remember I was on the bus to school and I heard when I heard about the Oklahoma City, City bombing on my Walkman. I remember being in English class, we got to see the beginning of the O.J. Simpson trial when I was in seventh grade. Also in seventh grade, I learned the singer Selena was murdered when a Latino classmate came into my class crying about it. I didn't even know at the time who Selena was. Probably because I hadn't seen the movie with Jennifer Lopez that hadn't come out yet. In April of 1999, when the Columbine the Columbine shooting happened, I was a sophomore and came to school and my science teacher turned on the television. I was on my way to work when I heard about the 9-11 attack and didn't fully understand the extent of it till I got to work and it was on the TV in the break room. The manager had called for a moment of silence. Please, please talk to your children about these things. Don't keep them in the dark. If need be, just give them a watered down version of it while providing just enough information. Let's take a look at some YouTube comments for this episode. 1. I remember this episode scared me as a kid. Prior to watching this episode, I knew nothing about murder. Number 2. This episode scared me because here in Southern California, the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez was on the loose. The whole state was scared. 3. He looks just like David, Letter David Letterman, lol. Because that was mentioned a couple times in the episode. Four, parents should let children or a child or children talk about and express their fear or fears. Five, the drawing of Punky 
has never left me after 30 years. This episode was based on Richard Ramirez. I'm going to have to look that up because I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm sure it is, but wow. All right, number six. The episode was filmed in 1985, right in the middle of his crime spree. It was national news. This is the same guy who mentioned that. All right, the next one. There's always going to be a boogeyman out there. The key is to be smart and vigilant. Pay attention to your surroundings. If you spend your life cooped up, then they win. Here's another one. Too funny. My stomach is pounding, my head is scratchy, and my throat is upset. Punky, 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 gotta love her. The next one. This is a good episode, but kind of weird. It is very dark, and Punky's mentality is disturbing. Why didn't the writers end the episode with the stalker being caught after Punky regains her sanity? Instead, we're left knowing that the boogeyman is still out there. Here's another one. If only society was like this. Things would be so much better for this crazy adult world. We've lost our humanity when we grew up and realized we had egos and arrogantly forgot our collective youth our origin our very origins of innocence thanks punky all right let's give a warm welcome to some new punky power podcast listeners for the week we have arizona pennsylvania wolverine michigan farmington michigan lancaster pennsylvania mesa arizona france b-e-l-i-z-e belize Austin, Texas, Muskegon, Michigan, Mexico, Poland, Ownings, Mills, Maryland, Los Angeles, California, Hoxie, Kansas, and Bakersfield, California. I want to give a sincere shout out and thank you to all the listeners out there. Whether you listen to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other listening platforms that you love, <laughs> that you may listen use to hear this podcast. I love giving you the episode recaps of Punky Brewster every week. Joining me as I go into full detail, describing her many adventures and shenanigans with Henry, Brandon, and her friends, as well as my occasional running commentary and childhood stories. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Also, you can check out my social media sites. You can also access those using the links on my SoundCloud account for Punky Power an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast. There are many ways to stay uh, connected to this podcast. You can like me on Facebook. You can also follow my Facebook Punky Power unofficial Punky Brewster podcast page. You can follow me on Instagram at Punky PB Podcast. Also, I have a Twitter, Punky PB Podcast, or you can even email me at PunkyPowerPBPodcast at gmail.com. Join me tomorrow, Monday, October 30th, when I review Season 2, Episode 15, Girls Wanna Be Boys. Girls Will Be Boys. Sorry. <laughs> when Punky receives a remote-controlled race car as a gift. She wants to take it to the racing track, but they do not allow girls to compete. Really? Well, that's gonna sexist. All right, well, you all have a wonderful weekend, and I will be back tomorrow with a new episode. Bye-bye.